We have just recorded this talk from Alice about kingdom community, and it was a really big talk, and there was so much great stuff in it, we thought actually it's better to split this in half. So this is going to be a two-parter, we're going to cut it halfway through, and then release the second half of it next week. Hi everyone, welcome to Hope, good to be with you like this. And we're here at Hope Chapel, Uh, we're recording this on a Wednesday morning, and we've got food bank happening just out the front there. And we've also got the scaffolding going up for the big works on the roof that we've been planning for for ages. So you'll hear that little buzz of, you know, the sort of scaffolding noise. There it is, kind of like an urban grasshopper. And um, <laughs> and the sort of clanging, of that's what that noise is. So uh, great to be with you. And this is the last in our little mini-series on community, kingdom community. So just thinking about as we come out of lockdown, um, we've been looking at what does community from God's perspective, from the Bible's perspective, as follows of Jesus look like, and and so that we can uh, emerge and regroup according to God's design. So Alice is going to bring us the, the last one of those uh, those talks, and uh, as she does, let's pray. Jesus, thank you for that extraordinary truth that we are your body here on earth. And we say yes to that. We recognize and agree with that word that, that you say and come under the authority of what you say, recognizing that we're your body on earth. And we prayed uh, that through what Alice says today, you feed us, you shape us. We want to be molded and, and, and led into that body, and that design, that community, uh, as you've intended it. And we know that as we do that, our lives will be fruitful and your kingdom will come in us and through us. So that's exciting. Thank you. Come Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Over to you. Thank you. We are going to look today at the building blocks of Kingdom Community, and we think there are four main building blocks. I just want to say, before we go into those particular ones that Jesus modelled for us, and sociologists also have affirmed with, with different names the different spheres we operate in as humans. Um, so a couple of things have come to our attention with things maybe people have said um, that they've kind of come across online about the church being put in lockdown, about certain kind of freedoms and so on being taken away. And there's a, almost like a, a malicious kind of intent behind it just want to say the church can never be locked down by any government. The church wasn't locked down under the Roman Empire. The church has not been locked down in China during the 80s and 90s, where the house church movement, which was prohibited at the governmental level, actually produced hundreds of millions of followers of Jesus. And the church is not locked down now in Afghanistan and Iran, which have the fastest growing church movements in the world. They've gone viral. And mainly in, in the case of Iran, teenage women hosting viral communities in their homes. So the church can never be locked down by government. Secondly, I genuinely think the governments in the in the nations with which we're familiar with, in the four nations of Britain and across in Europe and so on, have a very difficult and complex problem with a pandemic because we have not had one in the West since 1920, since the, the Spanish flu. And they are dealing with three key pillars of what we value in the West, public health, education and the economy, and it is very complex. But I think probably 
we can analyze, did they shut down too quickly or too slowly? Are they restricting us? Are they not restricting us enough? We can analyze that within a spectrum and it's important to reflect. But ultimately, I think they have our best interests at heart. I think they're trying in a very complex and nuanced situation to do the right thing. Unlike Asia, who've had experience in the 21st century of SARS and MERS, we haven't. And so we need to reflect, absolutely. But we also just need to trust that essentially there is a genuine desire to protect public health, to protect education, to protect the economy. So bigger picture, even if you don't agree with that, take this away. The church, as in the global community of followers of Jesus, can never, ever be locked down by temporal governments it always goes viral, and it, even in the most intense situations, it especially goes viral. So that said, there are four social spheres which we believe are key to building kingdom community, of which two have definitely been significantly prohibited in certain areas over the last year, and that has been painful and not in any way undermining the pain and the suffering caused by not being able to operate fully in all these four spheres of interpersonal relationships, of being able to build community, and for us as followers of Jesus, kingdom community, where he is our leader. The four areas, I've called them this, I think there are other names for them, and some have more areas, but you you can get the gist. The personal, for us as followers of Jesus, role model by Jesus, that's me and God, my personal relationship with God. The private, so that's me in my fours. I'm going to press into that one quite a lot in this talk. Um, but that's with a few close friends that you, you share deeply with. The social or the missional, which is kind of like the 12 to the 72. It's the big, more messy, extended household feel. But there are people in there who you might not choose to walk with. There are people in there who are different from you and you have to get close enough to feel that tension and feel that discomfort. Whereas the threes and fours, maybe more, it's like people like you, who you kind of know. This bigger group, this household, this family is more messy, more complicated, more nuanced. And that's the one where so much of our restoration is exposed, our need for it's exposed, and then happens, I believe, in actually other places like the threes and fours. And then finally is the public. Jesus modeled this with the crowds. He fed thousands of people when they were hungry. He, he brought amazing teachings to thousands of people called now called the, the Beatitudes, which we can read at the beginning of Matthew 5 to 7 and, and change the world forever. I'm going to briefly touch on the strengths and weaknesses of each. And as I'm speaking, I really want us to hear what is the Holy Spirit wanting to build? What area of building are we neglecting in our life? What does he want to press into in this season? And I'm going to take probably a bit longer to focus on that private sphere, the three threes and the fours, because that can be ongoing. All of them in some ways, because of tech, can be ongoing, but that can really be ongoing with quite severe restrictions, whereas the others, are obviously, it's, it's more complex in our current environment, even with using restrictions. So the personal, it is almost impossible to express to us in the 21st century in the West, which I think is probably a bit of an outdated term, how radical it was that God, Jesus, went away on his own and had a personal relationship with Abba, Daddy, Father. This is mind-blowing to the ancient world, which was essentially 
built around deeply knitted community and tribal identities, that someone would go off and have his own personal relationship with God, aside from the sacrificial system in the temple, is beautiful and wonderful and restorative and would have touched something in the Jewish mindset about Adam, human and Eve, life, walking with Yahweh, Elohim in the cool of the day in the garden narratives, but still be almost completely alien. He would have had his own prayer life with God on his own, getting up early in the morning and in, in local mountains. There were prophets that did have times like that, but his raw modeling of intimacy was something radical and changed the world forever. There is no way we can cruise off the relationship of other people. We need to have that in place. We need to have practices in our lives which facilitate personal intimacy with God. Some of us will be more in nature. That's how we connect with him. Some of us like words. Some of us like images and use our imagination. Some of us like music. None of that really matters. What matters is we know that we have a personal relationship with God and we know it because we intentionally have time where we really want to hear from him. We believe he's here, present with us all the time. We believe there are different seasons in life. It may be chronic health, where you're in pain all the time, and it's very hard to concentrate. Or maybe you're in the early years of having babies and toddlers, where you don't have as much time like that. He is, of course, here all the time. But those extra facilitated, organised times help us be aware of him all the time. They raise our awareness. I find when I read something in the Bible in the morning, often that is in me and informs my thinking through the day. So the first thing, ask the Lord, what does alignment look like in that area? And it may be you are aligned, but it may be that he has some more for you to go deeper in his relationship with you. For those of you who loved the public sphere, the social sphere, COVID obviously is an invitation as well as a very challenging and painful invitation to actually connect in that that deep place of personal relationship with God. The weakness, and everything has a weakness, is the narrative in the West has come to this place now of radical individualism. I'm going to use an analogy which is nothing to do with engineering. It's no commentary on the history or anything like that. It's simply an image. And it's the analogy of the Titanic, which was a large ship, cruise ship, a liner that was set sail from Southampton in April 1912 to go across to New York. And it was hailed, I think, potentially as seen as unsinkable. Tragically, it had over 2,000 passengers and over only about 1,000 lifeboats. And, and, and there, was a, there was a disproportionate loss of life. Absolutely tragic story. But the point I'm making is that is an image of where the West is going with radical individualism. Now, I'm not sure if we're the Titanic and we've hit it and we're going down or we are about to hit it. And there's a prophetic movement saying we cannot build our lives around this. Beware, go, go the other way. And there were some warnings to the Titanic. There were also other boats I think it could have helped. So it may not be that we're going down as a, as a, as a way of life, as a culture, but it may be we've already hit it. I'm going to tell you reason, the reason why. When we wrote God out of the narrative of our history, which I understand we did for, for probably really intelligent reasons to do with how, whether the church represented him well during key centuries in our history, in, in particularly in the, in the history of Europe. But we wrote God out of the narrative. So this thing of me and God suddenly just became me. It's just me and my dreams, my ideals, what I want to do. And is it working for me? This is 
absolutely would not have been in the radar of the Greco-Roman world. No one was thinking of their hopes and dreams. A few Roman elite were calling all the shots and everyone else was just basically surviving just basically getting through life, and it was intense and hard. This idea of having me, my life, my hopes and dreams is, is totally unprecedented. It's, it's extraordinarily unprecedented. It's, this relationship's working for me, I'll stay in it. This, this pair of child relationship's working for me, I'll stay in it. This work is working for me, I'll stay in it. This region that I'm living in is working for me. This digital life is working for me. I'll stay in it. This community is working for me. I'll stay in it. It's not working for me. I'll leave it. I'll leave it. I'll leave it. I'll leave it. This is just, it's almost unbelievable in terms of the history of humanity that we have come to this place. And I think there are two outcomes of that. We become extremely selfish, not in a malicious way. We're not intending to be. We just don't understand any other way of doing life. We measure it by how, whether it works for us. Or, and... Tragically, we become incredibly isolated. If we put self on the altar, we will just get that ourselves. We won't get anyone else with us. Incredible epidemic, pandemic of loneliness now, of the fruit of that radical individualism. A biblical approach to life is almost the opposite. It's this idea of sowing in agape love, sacrificial love, where we feel the Spirit's telling us to sow. Because it may not feel like it's working for us at all. In fact, almost the opposite. When we sow, we're giving. We're overcoming. We're paying a price. It's an act of faith to say, I'm investing. I'm pouring out in this situation, in this person, this relationship. Even though it feels like it's not working for me. And precisely maybe because it feels like that. And guess what happens? We reap a harvest. Absolutely guaranteed in the kingdom of God. We reap the life we're sowing. And so there's this problem in the west which i think has come into the church where if we just have me with my relationship with god and it's nothing to do with other people then we will end up with an extremely at best distorted understanding of what it is to be a follower of jesus and at worst actually not really be a christian because the essence of the gospel is is that our love for god is shown in how we love people it's shown horizontally that's how we know whether we're loving it's not about quiet times. It's, uh, am I genuinely loving? And am I genuinely loving to the most difficult people in my life? Do I have this real just love and gentleness and patience and humility? That is the real temperature of our maturity. If we claim to be a Christian, but we don't need other followers of Jesus, we are, we are following a different Jesus. We haven't received the good news. The good news is we can be restored enough within ourselves to love people. And we can enjoy that exhilarating love for people who are unlovable. That is the victory of the kingdom. It's being around people, celebrating them, championing them, who maybe don't know their love and so act out those ways. And I think for me personally, that's where I found my healing and restoration, where my most unlovable, unlikable bits are exposed and I've been loved by people anyway. God has shown me his love through people. So yes, get your personal relationship with God aligned, but that's not enough. That's just the beginning. Because of the weakness in the West of radical individualism, that will keep us stunted in our spiritual growth if that's the only thing that we think makes us a follower of Jesus. We need to move now into the, ver- the horizontal relational connectedness of the private space, the social space, and the public space. So the private space, and this is Jesus with his closest friends, and this can be awkward. So 
<laughs> I still can't get my head around this. There are two pairs of brothers who are uh, obviously grew up together as brothers, but also became business partners. They both had fishing businesses in, in the region of the Galilee. James and John, Peter and Andrew. Andrew leads Peter, and then because they're all working together, James and John to Jesus. And then Jesus chooses those three as his closest friends. And Andrew's one of the 12. I'm literally like, one day I'm going to ask Andrew, like, how that worked out for him. Was he okay with that? Maybe he was. I'm like, wow, that's incredible. He died for Jesus. We know that he he gave up his life. He was martyred for him. But that's intense. And and the 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 challenge of this is being clear about those people God is calling us to walk closely with. It's 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 challenging. But in that space, Jesus showed with Peter, James, and John his incredible power. He he took them aside when he raised the girl from the dead and his greatest pain and vulnerability. It was with those three that he invited in when he had his wrestling in Gethsemane, surrendering his will, knowing he would face the most horrendous execution devised by humanity that would not only break him physically, but also emotionally and spiritually as he took on all the oppression and injustice of the human condition that got him, got us to that place in the Roman Empire. It was he had three friends, Peter, James and John, who invited in with him to share that moment with him. That is the place where where the bigger difficulties of life can be appropriately processed. I love that we have a culture about being vulnerable and being authentic in the West. I love that we've come to that place. We've come away from a very, probably a wartime feel of very stiff upper lip. You don't tell anything to anyone and keep it all in. I think that that was too extreme, but I think we've almost now gone to the place where we can't even be a public figure without telling our incredibly authentic, vulnerable lives to everyone. I actually don't think that's restorative, both for us or for other people. I think it's an appropriate place to share those those personal, intimate struggles. And that is, in these threes and fours, of which you don't just have to have one. It's not like cut and dried. It's not a fixed thing. It's, It's as God leads you in close, intimate friendships to share appropriately according to the emotional intelligence in that friendship. I think we can be totally closed in interpersonal relationships and share incredibly vulnerably in the public sphere. And that's not here, that's not a whole humanity. A whole humanity is with people who you know you love, who you risk with, you look them in the eye and you share something personal about yourself in order that you may be restored. That's the place for that. So when the 12 to the 72, that bigger social, missional, extended household, messy sphere comes a bit too messy and you're with people that press your buttons and you find incredibly difficult, the place to process is not in that bigger place, certainly not online. It's in the threes and the fours. And I'll come to some ground rules about how we do that well and with honour in a minute. So the strength, of course, is you're with people different to you in that bigger, sorry, in the private sphere. The strength is you can go deep. You can trust. You can share your life. The weakness is it can become exclusive. So it's not enough just to have me and God and me and my close friends who are like me. That is not a reflection of the good news of Jesus. That's not what he died for. He says even the tax collectors, which were the hated, oppressive people of the age, even they like each other. Even people who everyone else hates like to be around people like them. That's not the good news of the kingdom. 
The good news of the kingdom moves into the next sphere, which is the 12 and 72. This missional household, extended family, messy, messy sphere. In Greco-Roman culture, you have these Jews who would then hang out with converts from Rome, then the women, the slaves, the children, they're all kind of meeting together going, this is awkward, this is socially radical, and at the same time, really unsettling that we're all sitting around a table together, eating together, following Jesus together. It is lovely, nostalgically, but it would have been brutal to the old human nature in the present a master and a slave coming to the table together. Um, a Greek woman running the show, or Phoebe with a Greek background running the show. Children who were, who wouldn't have even been named orphans included in. This is just beautiful to think about. But the reality is like this. Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector. I'm going to give you an equivalent now to see what Jesus was doing when he invited people to follow him. So Matthew, the tax collector, is the equivalent of an extreme white supremacist Trump supporter who thinks that that Caucasians are superior. This is the background of Matthew, the tax collector, before he's calling, when he's calling, called by Jesus to follow him. He's, He's in with the Romans. He's in with the ruling elite. He likes it. He makes money off it. He uses intimidation to his Jewish brothers and sisters to extort more taxes so he can become rich off their poverty and get rich from the Romans. He is hated and despised, an extreme right-wing person in our political ideology, a racist. He's called by Jesus. Not only is he called by Jesus, but Jesus goes and sits with him and all his friends. The Pharisees are disgusted by this. This is so offensive. How can you sit with all those sinners? He says, I haven't come to call the healthy. I've come to call the sick. At some level, these guys knew they needed Jesus, whereas those offended, politically correct, ideologically progressive Pharisees were like, we think we look down on them. There was no message of restoration for them. They'd failed. They were hated. And Jesus calls Matthew, and Matthew does the most incredible thing. He says he left everything. He left all that ideology behind, all that hatred behind, all that violence behind, all that intimidation behind, all that poor and weak and tragic way of seeing the world behind, followed Jesus. And we know he followed Jesus to his death as well, writing the most rich and beautiful gospel, the gospel, the good news about Matthew, of Jesus according to Matthew. He was the anointed one, the Messiah, the Messianic hope that the whole Hebrew Bible points to. And we feel that personal, he, he, he saved me. You read Matthew and you feel it for the whole of the Jewish scriptures. Yes, he's the messianic hope, the new Abraham, the new Adam, the new Noah, the new Moses, the faithful Israelite. But he also saved me. You feel that in Matthew. And then you get the other end of the spectrum. You get Simon the Zealot, the equivalent of like a neo-Marxist kind of extreme end of using violence for civil liberties and, and righteous justice, hating people like Matthew, the tax collector, with unbelievable hatred because they've been so unjustly used. The zealots were, everyone used violence, of course, before Jesus taught that you blessed and loved your enemies, a radical thing that we we don't understand what that would have been like for people to hear at that time because violence was how you achieved political domination. So Simon the zealot wants to overthrow the Romans and he has a sword at all times and they're ready, the zealots, to just stab and kill those horrible, brutal Roman oppressors, and they hate the tax collectors, because the tax collectors are, work, are Jewish, but they're working on the side of Rome. 
So you have this other kind of neo-Marxist movement that's ready to go back to violence because political dialogue is not working. And I mentioned a bit about that, that whole history in another talk I did on James, if you want to hear more about that history, that movement now. And, and Jesus says to Simon the Zealot, I mean, it's mind-blowing. He says to Matthew the tax collector, just leave it all behind and follow me. Follow me onto an adventure, into a true, new, whole, healed, restored humanity. And they had to live together. They had to do life together. They were in this extended, messy family, which included a lot of other people that were very, very difficult to be with. And they learned how to follow him in that space. We will never change if it's just me and God and a few people like me. But that is the place where Christ-likeness is forged in us. Because we learn to love people who are different from us. We learn to love people who have a history that we hate. And we learn to face our own deep need, our own deep brokenness, our own deep hypocrisy. And become, to use the words of Jesus, awareness of our own sickness. It's not the other people out there who are sick. I'm sick. I need a doctor. I need healing. But in that place, I can minister restoration to others. We have to say yes to the place where we feel uncomfortable with people who are different to us. But we don't need to work it out in that place. That's the place where we go back to the three and four and say, I'm in this situation and these people press my buttons. I find it difficult. I'm going to put some boundaries around how we talk about those situations. But we don't need to process in that big group. We just say, Lord, give me your heart of love. And then finally, there's the public sphere. So the strength of the social sphere is we are with people who are different to us, and that's good for us. The weakness, though, is we need smaller spaces to work through what that brings up in us. It's not wise to work it out in a big space. Then the public sphere, Jesus in the crowds. This what's obvious, the strength of this is obvious. There is massive reach. Thousands of people are fed in the feeding of the 5,000, uh, there are two, two miracle stories, 4,000 and 5,000 meeting the needs of the Jews and the Gentiles. Incredible reach. And they're not just 5,000 men, so tens of thousands, including women and children. And then he also did these incredible teachings. Love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. He gave as a rabbi his understanding of the Torah, the law and the instruction of Matthew 5 to 7, teachings which we're still growing into today. We're still being civilized into that level of maturity today. Incredible teachings. The strength is there, isn't it? There's massive reach. But the weakness is we're not personally known and we don't need to be personally known if we're part of a big crowd. And I would say the modern equivalent is big festivals. If that's our Christian thing, we just go to big festivals where we kind of say all the right things, do all the right things. I'd actually say more, though. It's a digital presence. It's a digital connection. Massive reach. There is incredible strength now in the network. I thought they'd say to me, it's like the Roman Empire. It's a toxic system, but you can bring clean messages through it. It's incredible the, the reach we can get through, through digital and online audience. But the weakness is we can't be personally known and we can't know people personally in an intimate way that comes when we're in person sharing lives together. We can, when we're prohibited from meeting, we can connect through technology. I'm not saying that's impossible, but I'm saying in terms of doing life, we can't just live in that massive reach, in that massive digital nomad, the millions of people. 
So what I would encourage with that is absolutely there are inspirational people who we can learn from online at the click of a button. We've never had such access to inspirational people or music or whatever. That's great. And we can contribute our inspiration because we all have something to contribute and we can have a reach. But don't feed on it and don't hide behind it because that's not the design for it. We're going to pause Alice's talk there and come back to the second half of it. And next week, so much uh, great stuff in this 50 minutes or so of teaching uh, that we thought it was really worth having it in, in two sections. Often with uh, talks on, on Sundays or whatever day of the week, uh, there's, there's, I think there's sort of two ways that we can respond to them, really. Um, I don't remember what I had for dinner on Wednesday last week, but I know I had something and it would have been nutritious and, you know, and I went to bed uh, feeling full and uh, or feeling like I had enough to eat. Uh, I don't necessarily remember what I ate or what it tasted like or, or, or whatever. And it can be the same with our, with listening to talks, listening to teaching like this. Um, but it's, 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 it's a really, and it's a bit like putting ourselves in community and, uh, putting ourselves in the presence of Jesus, uh, under the, uh, under the, the authority of scripture in a life of prayer. As we do that, we're, we're investing in our spiritual health and our life and, and, and the fruitfulness. And so it might be that, that, that there isn't a particular takeaway for you from this talk, but it's just great to be sitting together in the Bible and in, 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 the, in the teachings of Jesus together. And uh, or also sometimes uh, when we listen to teaching, uh, there'll be a specific kind of light bulb moment or kind of actions for us to take away. And uh, and so either may be the case for you. And so as we as we pause this uh, two parter here, uh, Lord, I pray uh, for us as as everyone who's listened to this that uh, you continue to feed us through it and speak to us and, and, and draw us into alignment with you. And if there are any specific um, takeaways or actions you've got for us, Holy Spirit, we welcome those and ask you to uh, reveal them to us and give us grace and strength to implement them, live them out in our lives. Amen. <laughs>